Thank you, Tony. This is as calm as you've ever seen me. Um, just continue, Tony's welcome if you're a visitor or a guest with us this morning um, as we continue our series in uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, and we've come to John chapter 10 this morning. If you have a Bible with you, open it there. If you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles, if you're in the centre column, um, it's page 896. Uh, I don't know if any of you, like me, watched a, a series by HBO made about 15 years ago called Band of Brothers. Uh, it was really outstanding uh, drama series following um, one company uh, of the 101st Airborne as they fought their way through the Second World War. Uh, and, and probably my favourite scene in that series, out of many moving and emotional scenes, uh, comes whenever the company has been in sieging a little village called Foy. And for a long period of time they've been dug in in the woods around it. And eventually the time comes for them to go down and take the village. And so the order goes and they charge out across the open ground and the enemy are firing their bullets and their shells and their mortars at them and everything is exploding all around them. And the lieutenant who is leading them, who has been established as a very useless character, totally freezes up, totally panics, um, literally locks himself to the ground and then starts to give them ridiculous and stupid and dangerous orders and the whole thing is falling to pieces and it's very clear they're not going to survive very long. And then from behind the lines the major sends in another lieutenant and he runs onto the field of battle, meets the company, discharges the other guy, takes command and with a few short sharp, clear orders, brings them together around him and leads them to victory. And for me, that courage and that heroism and that command and chaos was just such a brilliant picture for what I imagine if you were to tell, ask me, uh, give me an example of leadership. What do you think leadership really looks like? Perhaps you would have a slightly different picture of what leadership looks like. If you were an anarchist, you would be rejecting the need for any sort of leadership for human beings. We should all be self-determining. One of the darkest periods in, in the people of Israel's history was the time of the judges, when we're told that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and that time without leadership was chaotic and dark and black for them. Now John 10 is following from John 9, where we have met this young blind man who has been healed, who has received his sight, and who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, but during that episode, that man was shamefully treated by the people who were supposed to be the spiritual and even the political leaders of Israel. Far from, from being kind and caring, those people who should have been the leaders of that man's community instead treat him terribly, shamefully. And as we move into chapter 10, there is a thematic link in John's head. Because the Lord starts to talk to his disciples about the sort of leader that he is. He starts to explain to his disciples the sort of leadership that he offers to those who follow him. The sort of leadership that he will perfectly exemplify. So let's come to John 10 and listen to those words. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief 
and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. <coughs> when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And we'll stop our reading there for this morning, but I would encourage you to keep your Bible open in front of you. So let's take a moment to orientate ourselves. The first thing that's helpful to get clear in our heads is that this is not a parable. Um, The Lord often taught people in parables which were one cohesive story with one meaning. But that's not what's going on here. And in fact, if you try and, and get a cohesive parable out of this, you can get yourself very muddled. Instead, what's happening is that the Lord Jesus is talking to his disciples about uh, his leadership, um, about his relationship to those who follow him. And as he's talking with them, he's borrowing language and illustrations and pictures from the world of looking after sheep. So that's what's going on here. And, and while he does that, the Lord Jesus is doing a couple of things, actually. Firstly, he's contrasting himself with the Pharisees that we have just encountered in John chapter 9. Very, very sharply contrasting. And it's not a coincidence that of all of the illustrations that he could pick for his leadership, he picked being a shepherd. Because he's hearkening back to the words of Ezekiel 34, whenever the, the, the false and failing shepherds of Israel were criticized. Ezekiel 34 says, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should no shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves in the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. So the Lord is contrasting himself very starkly with the established leadership in Israel. Secondly, then, he's giving um, a very 
tangible example of what his leadership looks like. He's talking to his followers and explaining to them, this is what our relationship is going to be like. This is the sort of leader, this is the sort of shepherd that I am. And finally, and and indirectly, he's giving an example for those who would be shepherds of his church who would come after him. And we're not going to labor that this morning, but that those who have that responsibility look to the great shepherd that is the Lord Jesus and seek to follow the example that he sets in these verses. And I wonder, have you ever felt the need for leadership in your life? Perhaps your life feels a bit aimless, a bit directionless. Perhaps you feel lost or even out of your depth in the day-to-day and week-to-week of life. Or perhaps you feel like one of those soldiers from Band of Brothers, stuck out there on the field of battle, chaos all around you and nowhere to go. For the rest of our time this morning, we're going to tease out some of the characteristics that the Lord Jesus highlights about his leadership in the lives of his followers and what we can expect from that in our lives as his followers today. And if you're sitting here this morning as a stranger to Christianity, you might find it interesting to listen along and to see what the Lord Jesus offers and expects of those who follow him. So the first thing that we can see in the relationship the Lord has with those who follow him is intimacy. It's hard to miss that, isn't it? He says he calls his own sheep by name. I remember growing up and seeing flocks of sheep in the countryside, and they would be identified with a sort of a spot of red paint or a spot of blue paint. And that simple blob of paint on the sheep's side identified what farmer they belonged to. That showed the flock that they were part of. But this is something very different, isn't it? This is personal. This is a shepherd who knows his sheep, who knows their name and can call them by it. In his his wonderful short story, A River Runs Through It, Norman MacLean concludes that it is those who we live with and love and should know who elude us. And yet, how often have we been on the receiving end of that sentiment? Perhaps you, like me, have gone through periods in your life whenever you felt very deeply that no one really knows me. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning feeling exactly that. Surrounded in a pew with people you pass pleasantries with, perhaps who would even call themselves your friends. But deep within your own soul, you feel alone and unknown in the midst of that crowd. Is there anything more human than that desire to be known? Beneath every Instagram post or every Facebook status update is that desire to be seen and to be known. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning thinking that your Christianity is little more than that dot of red or blue paint on your side. An impersonal and generic marking that simply identifies which crowd you belong to. Perhaps as an outsider to the faith, That's how you've always seen Christianity. Sort of a different branding that people take on their lives to identify the group that they affiliate with. But the Lord Jesus makes it so clear in his words here that that is the farthest thing from the relationship that he has with his disciples. He calls you gently by your name. Michael, Samuel, Christina, Sarah, come here to me. 
So this is a shepherd who knows and loves his sheep intimately. And this is not just a passing knowledge, a few facts. Look at how the Lord describes the knowledge uh, that, that he has of us. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. If you're new to Christianity, one of the distinctive claims that the Bible makes is that God is one God with three persons, a Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit. And that for all of eternity, God has existed in those three persons. And that the Father and the Son have beheld each other throughout all of eternity. That that deep knowledge of each other that the Father has for the Son and the Son for the Father, that is how the Lord knows us. And that is how we will know him. So, the Lord says there will be intimacy between me as the shepherd and my sheep. Secondly, it's clear there's going to be authority as well, isn't there? The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. If I was to ask you to picture um, a leader using authority, I wonder what sort of picture you would come up with in your head. Um, possibly the general who sits away behind the lines of the battle and moves the little pieces on the board with the big stick, but keeps himself far removed from the guys at the front. Perhaps you picture authority as the, the CEO of a huge multinational corporation, the guy who sits on the very top floor and commands everything around him. In fact, I even wonder what your picture of shepherding is like. Uh, when, I was, when I was younger, I used to enjoy watching a program called One Man and His Dog. Um, I wouldn't have admitted that until I was married, but now I freely can. Um, and, and in that, it was about a farmer and, and his sheepdog, and, and through the signals he would give to the dog and the movements the farmer would make, they were able to command the sheep and to drive them up the hill or to herd them into pens or to push them through a gate. Um, and, and that's often even in our Western world how we see livestock driven, isn't it? If you're on a, a country road and you get stuck, um, as a farmer is moving some of his animals, the farmer and often his, his helpers are behind the animals with their sticks or their prods and they're driving them forwards. But Middle Eastern shepherds were different. The Middle Eastern shepherd goes before the sheep calls them and cajoles them and the sheep trot along behind him. So the shepherd is in front. And the sheep themselves, let's not forget, follow. And coming up to Christmas, we will you know, hear the, the song Good King Wenceslas, that king taking his servant to bring food and relief to a poor, starving um, member of his kingdom. And as the night closes in, his servant following him says, Sire, the night is darker now, and the wind blows stronger. Feels my heart, I know not how, I can go no longer. And the king says, Mark my footsteps, good my page, tread thou in them boldly. Thou shalt find the winter's rage, freeze thy blood less coldly. In his master's steps he trod, where the snow lay dinted, heat was in the very sod which the saint had printed. And perhaps this picture the Lord is painting for his disciples thousands of years ago needs to gently correct some of the muddled up ideas we might have about the Lord Jesus' use of authority in our own lives. This is not the God who stands behind and shouts. This is the God who walks ahead 
and leads. Whether a pillar of fire in the desert or the shepherd to his beloved sheep, this is the God who goes before us. I have had very few spiritual experiences in my life, but throughout my Christian life I have had a deep and abiding sense that the Lord has always gone before me in everything, good and bad. And I know that there are many, many Christians here who would share that experience. And the confidence that we get from that knowledge in the good times bolsters us and stands by us in the bad times. The Lord is going before us. Let's, as we finish thinking about the Lord's authority, let's not miss the sheep themselves because the sheep follow their master because they know his voice. That follows on, doesn't it, from the intimacy of our first point. Um, Those of you who are younger than me may not know that we used to buy our music in shops and not in our phones. Um, And there was a shop called HMV. And its symbol was a, a little dog sitting beside a gramophone. And the gramophone was playing and the dog is sitting with his head cocked, listening intently. And he's listening intently because the gramophone is playing his master's voice. And he hears it. And he recognizes it. It's quite hard to communicate with someone without words, isn't it? Uh, you know, say a, a young man, a young woman from different countries, different languages meet. There can be that initial spark of attraction. But that doesn't carry things very far, does it? Uh, that, that, that only takes you um, so far. Sooner or later, one of them is going to have to start learning how to communicate so that in the sharing of words, they can learn about each other. So as Christians, how do we hear the Master's voice? Well, one simple application for us might be to start by reading a chapter of the Gospels every day. Half a chapter, if that's too much. Listen to how the Lord interacts with the people around him. Look at how he treats those he meets. Start to try and understand what he values, who he is. And as we read his words, learn to listen to the Lord speaking to us. You need to listen to the Master's voice and get to know him. So we've seen the leadership of the Lord Jesus brings us an intimacy in that relationship. We're known and we will know him. We've seen that it wields authority. The Lord who goes before us. And don't miss as well that the Lord in that role is offering us blessing. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will go in and out and find pasture. The Lord's painting a picture where the sheep have security. They can go in and out and be safe, be saved. And where they have food, where they have pasture. What is food for a human? That is one of the most fundamental questions of the human life, isn't it? Philosophers and ordinary people like us have wrestled with that throughout all of human history. What is food for a human? Not just calories and macros, but what feeds the human soul? And not only have some of the greatest minds in human history wrestled with it, but all of us here have. All of us here have asked ourselves that question. Everyone deciding if they should or shouldn't marry someone or if they should or shouldn't have children or if they should take this job or move to that city. Every midlife crisis or every quarter-life crisis where someone steps back, looks at themselves in the mirror and says, what am I doing with my life? What, What really matters here? What is this all about? Every one of those questions 
fundamentally is asking the same thing. What is giving meaning to our lives? What is pasture for a human being? Lord Jesus makes a big promise here. He says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And in in the passages leading up to this in John, the Lord Jesus has already answered that question for us. In chapter 6, he says twice, I am the bread of life. In chapter 4, he meets the woman at the well and he offers her a spring of living water that would well up within her and lead to eternal life. So as the Lord says, I am the bread of life, as he offers a spring of living water, what is the pasture that the good shepherd leads us to? Well, Jesus is contending here in John's Gospel that he is the one who satisfies that deepest hunger of the human soul. One person said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And maybe that rings true in your own heart this morning very clearly. Life feels empty. Your soul feels starved of any sort of meaning or purpose. Well, Jesus says... I am the good shepherd. I will provide your soul with that food that it has been so desperately seeking. He offers us blessing. And then he also makes an exclusive claim on a sheep, doesn't he? He says, a stranger they will not follow. And yet as a Christian in our lives, there are so many other voices that clamor for our ear. Friends and family, work colleagues, social media, the mass media. And the Lord doesn't really offer us a part-time course here, does he? One day you're my sheep, the next day you can follow the other shepherd, and then I'll be back on Wednesday to pick you up again. It's not the buffet option. The hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And yet each of us as Christians who have strayed from the voice of the Master in our lives have learned that those other voices never really do satisfy The next big thing gets replaced by the next big thing and then the next big thing. And then we find ourselves again and again hungering after more. And perhaps at times in our lives, as the Lord's sheep, we are trying to have our cake and eat it as well. We need to echo the words of Simon Peter who said to the Lord Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you're the Holy One of God. And yet not long after that, Simon Peter was denying Jesus as fast as he possibly could. Fleeing from him and any association with him. And just a few days later, in one of the most tender moments in in the whole of scripture, the Lord Jesus comes alongside him and the great shepherd puts his arm around him and restores him to walking with him. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you need to allow the good shepherd to come alongside you. Turn you from those other voices that are clamoring for your attention and restore you to him. And so we're closing. I asked earlier if there was any more human desire than the desire to be known. And perhaps the answer to that question is the desire to be known and to be loved. Known for who you really are and to have somebody say, I see you, I know you. And I love you. Look at the conversion of the woman in the well in chapter 4. She finds someone who knew her. Come and see someone who told me all that I ever did. Who loved her. 
The very thing that she had been hungering for her whole life with that succession of husbands. Someone who knew her and who loved her. And so the Lord has has explained to his disciples here the sort of shepherd that he is. He offers them an intimate relationship. He wields authority. He brings blessing. He demands exclusivity. But there's one last thing that makes him distinctive as the good shepherd. Sacrifice. He says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Shepherds didn't really die looking after their sheep. Um, So the Lord is pushing the language here as far as it can go to make a bigger point. One that was missed at the time but is so clear in hindsight. Not missed by us. You see, for the Lord to be able to save the sheep, to bring them into that relationship with him, to be able to offer that blessing, that was not something that came without a cost. Elsewhere in the Bible we're told that all we like sheep have gone astray. Turned everyone to his own way. You see, the flock that the Lord has was not one that was sitting waiting eagerly for him to appear. It was wandering off cliffs and into the mouths of wolves and into the desert. Just like you and I have wandered in our lives far beyond what is good for us. And the Bible makes clear that that wandering is rebellion. And it calls it sin. And that problem at the heart of the human condition stands at an insurmountable obstacle between us and that relationship with the Good Shepherd. Other people would just leave those sheep to wander. That's what the Lord says. The, the, the Pharisees, the hired hands, let them go. They don't care about the sheep. Don't own them. Mean nothing to them. But the Good Shepherd loves the sheep and lays down his life for them. And when the Lord came came to be a good teacher, absolutely. came to be an example, absolutely. But ultimately, the Lord came to die. This story ends with the Lord on a cross, crucified and dead. For our sin, for our rebellion. So that then, three days later, raised to life, he could offer us sincerely a relationship with him. Forgiveness for that rebellion. To bring us back into the fold. Despite whatever grand story we have written about our lives in our heads, where we're the conquering heroes, we know each of us in our heart of hearts that we're like the soldiers on that battlefield. Stranded alone, without any cover on the battlefield of life, destruction and chaos exploding all around us, those who are with us equally lost, and whoever we had put our hope in as our leader, powerless and useless. And it is into that moment of chaos and lostness that the Lord Jesus calls you by name and says, I am the good shepherd. I know you. I will lead you. I will bless you. I have laid down my life for you. As he calls our name in the chaos of life, may he help each of us to hear his voice. Father, we thank you for the vivid picture that you have painted for us in these words. Father, we confess that each of us are like sheep and we have gone so far astray in our lives, lost and and in hopeless danger. And we thank you that unlike the hired hands who would be content to leave us to the jaws of the wolves, 
Your son, the Lord Jesus, was the good shepherd who loved his sheep, who knew them, and laid down his life for them. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for each of us, knowing us fully and more completely than we even know ourselves. Father, we pray that we would listen to your voice in our lives, that we would heed it and that we would know it. And Father, we would ask most of all for anyone who is yet to be gathered into your flock, that you would call them by name, that they would hear your voice, and that they would come in and out, be saved, and find pasture.